This is the Theology Matters podcast. I'm Josh Malden, and I'm here today with Hannah Stroman and Ulrich Schmiedel to discuss their recent book, The Claim to Christianity, Responding to the Far Right, which was recently published by SCM Press in the UK. Welcome to the podcast, Hannah and Ulrich. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thanks. Well, just to get it started, uh, tell me about what led to the writing of this book. Um, well, a few things, really. I mean, um, one of the real motivations actually came from uh, each of our stays at CTI. So, um, yeah, we, we, we each took part actually in separate inquiries. So I was part of the uh, religion and violence inquiry, and we'd both been doing a bit of work on the far right separately. But, but really, it was our stay at CTI, which prompted us to think through actually working together and thinking through a bit further uh, issues to the far right that were more of a kind of normative kind, like how do you respond to the far right? Yeah, I mean, I guess one thing, once we started looking into this is um, that one of the responses that we, we kept seeing, kept hearing in church as well as from colleagues was this idea that the far right had hijacked Christianity, that kind of metaphor, this idea of hijacking, and that was something we the more we read about this, the the less comfortable we were with that kind of response, because it basically sort of means that as Christians, we don't have to take responsibility for, for that uh, claim to Christianity from the far, because it's sort of a hijacking, it's not us, um, so we don't need to take responsibility for it. And we thought the response should be in a way exactly the other way around, saying if that is in any way related to Christianity, a far-right ideology or far-right practices, then as Christians, as theologians, as scholars interested in, in religion and politics, we have to respond more actively to this and cannot just sort of wash our hands and say, it's not us. Yeah, say, maybe say a bit more about that because I, I was intrigued by that claim, you know, throughout the book that in some sense, this is an argument within Christianity over its symbols. We can't just say they've taken over the true Christianity. They're not real Christians. Speak more to that because I, I'm kind of uh, trying to figure out exactly what it, what it means. It's a theological debate here that's going on, you might say. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think perhaps the way we understand theology in the book is is perhaps, uh, in some ways, perhaps unpopular, would be, be perceived as unpopular, perhaps a little bit strange. I mean, normally you think of theology as what uh, academically trained theologians do in a university. Um, and, and we're trying much more to think about theology as something on the ground. We're interested, I mean, we talk about our interest in, in lived Christianity. So, so we're interested in how how ordinary people uh, theologize, by which we sort of mean, how do they make use of the themes, tropes, and traditions of a faith, Christianity, um, and, and how do they link that to issues that concern them today? Uh, and so that's sort of how we characterize our understanding of, of theology. And we, we do push that quite strongly, uh, partly because, you know, we're trying to push against this idea of just a, a hijacking. So, so it's a matter of, of thinking about how, how people in general uh, lay claim to Christianity, however unpalatable some of those claims are uh, and, and acknowledging the sort of more open question you know who gets to decide what Christianity is as scholars we're interested in at least sort of looking at then what do those claims look like amongst groups and figures on the far right uh, and then we can see how does that link to historical uses of Christianity to how churches understand Christianity. 
Yeah, I, I think one interesting point in that connection is that this hijacking metaphor has been picked up by, by scholars of religion and, and theologians. Um, and if you sort of think through the metaphor itself, it actually already makes a normative claim. And that claim is then often hidden. But if you say Christianity has been hijacked, that means you have a very strong idea of what the real, the good Christianity is, and then what constitutes the hijacking. And for us, even if we agreed, or even if somebody agreed with this idea that the claims to Christianity made by the far right are problematic, not genuine, and so on, at least we may need to make this normative sort of statement, this normative idea transparent. We need to think through. We cannot just presume it, assume it, and sort of runs hidden through everything. We need to make it ex explicit. And that was one, one other take you thought was important here. Yeah, I think one, one good example for this that I always find as, a, as a, a Lutheran, having studied Lutheran theology and so on, is that you, know, you have all of these statements by Martin Luther against the Jews and um, the Muslims. And interestingly, you never find anybody saying about Luther, he hijacked Christianity for his you know, anti-Semitic and Islamophobic stance, or what we today would consider anti-Semitic and Islamophobic. So with Luther, we clearly say that has a connection with his theology. It doesn't mean his theology is completely wrapped into this, but there's a connection to his theology. And so why not? Our question was, you know, look at contemporary far-right claims with that kind of lens to say, okay, so maybe there's more to this than just not genuine sort of, yeah, uh, taking it as a tool for another political agenda, but I'll say, okay, there's, there's maybe a theology hidden here that, that we can bring out in order to then discuss it. Yeah, I find that very interesting and very compelling, what both of you have said, in the sense it requires theologians to enter the fray. Yeah, and maybe to... I guess to open up that debate um, for Christians um, of all political persuasion. So that was for us like in, in the book, it's that we do not so much want to say, so this is what Christianity is. Here you have the identity of Christianity and we've defined it for you. But rather it's say like, how can we best think through what the identity of Christianity is and how can we open a conversation about this um, rather than us presenting um, sort of the solution. I think the book is much more about um, about opening the bait and asking the question, I guess, rather than, than giving an answer, which might be a bit dissatisfying when you um, read it. On the other hand, that is really the idea is that it, you know, gets people thinking about questions of religion and, and far-right politics. Mm, and part, part of that is comes from, I suppose, both of our sort of larger interest in, you know, what does Christianity look like in the modern world? Uh, and I don't think that's a given. You know, Christianity takes lots of different forms, and it always has, uh, but there are, you know, all these different forms out there today and different expressions of Christianity. And so to keep a really open mind about what Christianity looks like, or, or I'm, I mean, I'm even more interested in what does Bible use look like uh, in the modern world, I, th I think to sort of not lose some of the interesting... Um, sort of stuff out there you, you you have to be very open to what you might uh, find yeah i was going to say hannah you know your background is in biblical studies so you know some people might come along and say well this is all not really a problem because we can just look back to the bible and there, there we'll find what what true christianity is but i think you you would be able to explain why that's not such a simple solution uh yeah <laughs> 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 absolutely so i mean one of the things that brought me into being sort of this research field and being interested in the far right was precisely 
the way uh, the Bible comes up. And so one of our chapters looks at the far-right terrorist Anders Bering Breivik from Norway, the 20, 22nd of July, 2011 terror attacks, where, which were inspired by his, his far-right ideologies, extremist understanding of uh, the West being under attack and you know, Islam being the problem. Uh, and it, in his ideas, in the sort of ideology that he buys into, there's, there's quite a lot of Bible there, biblical references, understanding of the Bible. And, um, and I mean, that made me very curious about, yeah, the way the, way the Bible is, is then used, uh, also then to sort of very much push uh, an Islamophobic agenda uh, and even a violent sort of terrorist uh, action. And, and one of the, the sort of biblical passages that come up a lot then in our book, The Claim to Christianity, is, is the Good Samaritan. And that was a surprise to us. We didn't realize we'd kind of find that. Um, but uh, references to the Good Samaritan come up. Uh, I mean, not sort of, I mean, most biblical scholars are, are interested in exegesis. And, you know, there's not lots of detailed and in-depth uh, interpretation going on of the Good Samaritan, either by the sorts of far-right movements we look at or in the church responses. But, but that, the, the sort of trope of the Good Samaritan does come up quite uh, frequently. And um, the, the variety of ways in which the Good Samaritan story is understood is enough to uh, prove to anyone, I would think, that uh, it's not so easy to say what this means uh, and what effect the, your interpretation has. What are some of the examples on the far right in the interpretation of the Good Samaritan? Because one example comes from the from the German sort of it's it's a bit tricky. I guess you could say far right populist party, the Alternative for Germany, um, Alternative for Deutschland, and they have in one of their party publications um, they have a very short, it's a very short text, but basically an interpretation of the the idea of the Good Samaritan that the, the punchline of it is to say like. Um, we shouldn't take in more refugees. So what probably is a sort of normal standard reading, you'd think the Good Samaritan means the opposite of this, doesn't it? It means, means helping people when you, when you can, wherever you can, um, no matter what the reward or, or, or of it would be. Um, and in that party publication, they, they sort of argue, well, yeah, the Good Samaritan helped um, this one person, but he didn't help all his friends and ask his family to move over as well. And sort of then use this to sort of argue against a, a sort of hum humanitarian um, migration policy. So I guess that was sort of the, the one extreme um, uh, spectrum. Um, on, the, on, on the one hand of the spectrum, you had this, and on the other hand, the more classic um, idea of the, the Good Samaritan as, as a parable calling us um, to help. A few different different versions of the Good Samaritan that we found, um, which was yeah, surprising to us. We didn't expect that before writing it or before looking into all these publications. One of the main themes of the book is how the far right in Europe is defined by this hostility towards Islam and Muslims. So maybe speak to that. I mean, there's all kinds of debates, as you, as you note in the book, about secularism and whether Christianity and secular uh, society are somehow necessary for one another and Islam is somehow uh, doesn't fit with that. But speak to that. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the terms or phrases we use to characterize um, the contemporary far right sort of across Europe, one of the, the key characteristics or the, the term we use to, to characterize some of those uh, commonalities is new, new racism. So, so we talk a little bit a, a, about a kind of shift in far right rhetoric where 
the sort of the other, the, the, the enemy, the problem it is understood in terms of uh, culture and religion rather than race. Uh, but we prefer to, you know, we use the term new racism to sort of designate the way in which it's not that actually racism uh, has gone, <laughs> particularly, of course, we're talking about uh, far right opposition to immigration. So all the rhetoric around immigration, it's not that the kind of racial aspects uh, of that has gone, but those racial aspects tend now to be cloaked in talk about culture and within culture also then religion. So, so, um, uh, so that's one of the ways I think that you can sort of see real commonalities across uh, the different European uh, countries. I mean, we look at Norway, uh, Germany, uh, and the UK. Uh, and and I mean, what this is sort of doing, what this rhetoric is doing, this new racist rhetoric, is, is to essentialize the other, the, the sort of Muslim other, as a sort of trapped in their religion in some sense. Their culture and within that their religion is used as a way of, of kind of marking a whole group of people in one particular way. And that's then seen as a problem. And that's, as you say, when all this stuff comes up about uh, Muslims not being able to be, to assimilate into a sort of secular Europe or claims that Islam is uh, sort of essentially misogynistic. Uh, and, and all these kinds of claims get sort of wrapped up in an essentialization, which is is very similar in a way to the kind of racist uh, rhetoric where someone is essentialized for their skin color. Yeah, I think if you look at um, these debates from a sort of functional angle, so if you ask what, what function does um, the category of race fulfill in a discourse or what function does the category of religion fulfill in a discourse, what we found is in a way they fulfilled the same function. So even though the far right in, in Europe at the moment is very rarely talking about race and rather uses religion and specifically Islam as, as that what they to, to describe what they don't want, the function these uh, references fulfill is still the same, namely to say like there's a difference between us who are Christian and those who are non-Christian, Islamic or Muslim, and therefore we need to have policies that address that differently. And it sort of, it turns into discriminatory politics in, in the end. So I think in that sense, um, that's into, to say like new racism, it's, it's still doing the same thing, but it's sort of cloaked in, in a new, um, also dressed up in a, in a new way. Wendy Brown has, what I found helpful and we, we, we um, refer to in the book, Wendy Brown has a nice phrase for this. She says like in these kinds of debates, it's not that people have a culture or people have a religion. It's rather that cultural religion has the people because you're sort of in, in that kind of essentializing that, that Hannah mentioned now, you're sort of trapped by this. You know, so no matter what you actually believe or don't believe, you're considered a, a Muslim and therefore this, 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 and this would apply to you. So you're kind of trapped by this ascription of identity to you and, and nobody actually needs to ask you what you really think or, or believe or do. And I mean, we, we talk about that then as a sort of theological trap to come back to your, your first question, Joshua, because it comes back to then conceptions of Christianity versus Islam. And of course, what is very much at play here is in a way, the sort of clash of civilizations idea, this, this idea that Christianity is what kind of marks the identity of the West. And Christianity is sort of opposed to Islam as a different sort of civilization that they are clashing and have always clashed. 
Uh, and one of the, the, the ways in which this, this plays out theologically is with references to, for instance, the Crusades uh, and, and, and this idea that um, there's something inherently oppositional between Christianity and Islam. And, and we consider that a theological claim because it's, it's, it's perpetuating particular ideas about what it means to be a Christian, which has to do with peoplehood and uh, with uh, boundaries and with certain sort of fixed ideas about, yeah, what is other to Christianity. Getting to the last couple of questions, I'm, I'm interested in the audience for the book. It's, I mean, it's clearly written for a pretty popular audience. I, I commend you. It's very clearly written. I was able to just sort of breezily uh, go through it. It's, it doesn't have a lot of academic jargon and, and so on, which I really appreciated. Uh, so I think a broad group of people can, can comprehend this. Specifically, I'm curious, do you hope that it might actually change people's minds who are kind of already tempted by this kind of far right or maybe near near far right uh, rhetoric? I mean, I think we hope, I mean, thank you for saying this about a broad audience. We were aiming for a broader than just academic audience. And mm -hmm. that is challenging. And sometimes academics, I think, think they've managed to do that. And, and maybe they haven't. And, you know, we're not sure until we hear from <laughs> others. I mean, what we hope is to spark debate, particularly amongst Christians, Christian communities, faith communities. That's what we hope not only I mean we, anyone is welcome to read the book we we hope anyone who's interested in the topic would read and engage but um I mean we are interested in sparking debate and in challenging I mean we're not interested in just writing a neutral account which is just describing something going on mm -hmm. so in that sense we are wanting to challenge yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's trickier than Dorothy so I, I think one of course we would have the hope that if um somebody picks this this up who I don't would consider themselves far right or would hold to some of them the positions that we outline as part of a very broad far right spectrum. Of course that would be a hope I think that we that we convince them to rethink some of this, but I also think we mustn't overestimate what a book can do and what we as as um, authors of the book can do. But I think that one of the ideas or one of the yeah, one of the ideas for responding to the far right that, that we've um, sort of thought through and found quite helpful is actually quite an old one, namely Gordon Alcourt's contact hypotheses. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a very simple idea um, to say that if you meet the people about whom you have prejudices, um, most likely this meeting of them will change your prejudice, um, will corrode your prejudice. Now there's all sorts of sociological, psychological, um, and also theological uh, criticism of this. And you have to take this together. It's, it's, in the it's much more detailed than I've outlined this here. It depends on which kind of contact, under which kind of circumstances and so on. But all in all, there is something to be said uh, for your contact having um, an important function in sort of bringing people together and, and allowing people to, to change their minds. So I think if our book can have an impact, then it's probably not a direct one, but an indirect one. So if the impact is to bring people, specifically in the European context of far right, people meaning you know, Christian and Muslims together, then I think it will have an impact. Um, so, but, but the book is sort of calling for that contact. Um, and I think if, if that call is heard um, and responders, I think then it can really make a difference, but then it's in the end, not the book, but rather the people who meet each other um, who make the difference. 
Yeah, I mean, we're also quite clear on, we're, we're not sort of thinking we're bringing the answer in this book ourselves. In a way, what we end up with is also to look to what are, you know, churches, what are uh, practitioners already doing? And, and, and we do want to evaluate what we think seems to work then in relation mm -hmm. to our analysis of the far right and sorts of claims they make to Christianity and about Islam. But um, we're also just trying to draw out what seems to work in response to this, to take it seriously and to critique it and to challenge it. And, and partly, I think, again, part of our hope is that by, by shedding light on the connections between the sort of extreme versions of, of the far right to the more mainstream, you can also sort of start to dismantle some of those sort of more popular prejudices that lots of people might hold uh, in various sort of versions and, and start to perhaps chip away at some of those stereotypes, particularly then around uh, Muslims. But we, we see this as a conversation. I mean, we have like chapters, at the, uh, questions at the end of the chapters to sort of prompt further discussion. And that's partly because we're interested in being part of the further discussion, hopefully, and, and, and hearing about what, what people do and in, in, in response to these sorts of issues. Well, maybe we can have you back on the podcast even with some some other folks who will respond to these questions, you know, church groups, religious communities, that that would have been a good idea, and I think we can still do that. Bring you bring you back for that. Um, but in the meantime, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast and for writing this book, "The Claim to Christianity: Responding to the Far Right" by Hannah Stroman and Ulrich Schmidl. Thanks to you both for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yes. <laughs>